All right, so the plan today is to get done reading Galatians, and we're going to do it. We're finally going to do it. Okay, so quick review of where we're at. So if you look at the, the letter that Paul writes to Galatians, there's actually, it's kind of a nice three-part segment. And the first part, he's going to talk about how you're not under law. Now, as Roy sent me this video, he's like, you should totally watch this. And I, I watched it, and it was really good because, like, and I knew this, but the, w- the way the guy put it together was, he put it together in a way, he described it better than I would have described it, which was that the first part is about how you're not under law. Okay, then he talks about in the middle of the book about liberty. But then he, he, at the end, he tells you how this liberty does not result in licentiousness. So you can think of it as law, liberty, and licentiousness. It's actually a really good description for the book. So on one hand, he starts off, he's like, Paul and the gospel to the, to the Gentiles. So he defends himself. So he starts up right up at literally verse 1. He starts defending himself. Then he talks about how even the Jewish Christians, chapter 2, they know that the law does not justify. So people who've lived under the law know, like, this is, this is not something you go back to lightly. And then he will then talk about how he'll go with, this is with the deep part, the complicated part. He goes back into chapter 3 and he gives you all these Old Testament passages saying, okay, you, if you, if you think you know the law, okay, let's talk about the law. And if you know it, then you're going to realize, okay, this actually doesn't make sense. And we, we're going to be, there's this question you should have in your back of your head, which is that, are they going back to the law or are they going back to a corrupted version of the law, like a misunderstanding? And I think in a certain sense, to go back to the law means you didn't understand it in the first place, which is a corrupted version of it. And that's what Paul's going to point out. He's like, that was not the point of the law. The point of the law was different than you think it is. He's going to correct that. So that's going to be chapters 3 and 4. And then at the end, he's going to talk about how the life under the law is not lawlessness. So it's easy for people to say, oh, so, you're saying I'm not under law. Therefore, and then they, they follow with a whole bunch of stuff. And actually, I would say that I think even people, when they think about Christians can get stuck in this trap. I think there's two options. There's either lawlessness or law. And Paul's telling you there's actually a third way. Which actually looks a lot more like a relationship, which is why he uses relational terminology. Where sometimes you do things simply because you want to do them for the other person. That's what a good relationship looks like. So hopefully your, your relationships don't look like law or lawlessness. They look like something else, and I think that's the point. So we're going to finish off chapter 6. Any other questions, comments, or anything that popped in your head since last class? All right, I'll take that as a no. So Ryan's going to kick us off. Ryan Lee's going to kick us off with a prayer. So I'm just going to read chapter 6 as opposed to fiddling with the tech. That, that was not fun. I, Josh and I did spend, we were here till like almost 3 o'clock trying to figure out what was going on. And we figured it out. It's actually pretty simple, but uh, there's another part we've got to buy. But I'm just going to read it to make it simple. So chapter 6. Oh, in the, in the book, if you want to read the, the copy that's in the book or you want to highlight that sort of thing, uh, that's on page 19. And I do have more books coming, by the way. They haven't shipped yet, but I'll bring them when they do. All right. Chapter 6. Brothers and sisters, 
If a person is discovered in some sin, you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Pay close attention to yourselves so that you are not tempted to carry one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Let each one examine his own work. Then he can take pride in himself and not compare himself with someone else. For each one will carry his own load. Now the one who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with the one who teaches it. Do not be deceived. God will not be made a fool. For a person will reap what he sows, because the person who sows to his own flesh will reap corruption from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So we must not grow weary in doing good, for in all due time we will reap if we do not give up. So then, whenever we have an opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who belong to the family of faith. See what big letters I make as I write to you in my own hand. Those who want to make a good showing in external matters are trying to force you to be circumcised. They do so only to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised do not obey the law themselves, but they want you to be circumcised so that they can boast about your flesh. But may I never boast except for in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. The only thing that matters is a new creation. And all who will behave in accordance with this rule, peace and mercy be on them and on the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear the marks of Jesus on my body. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. All right, what kind of things did you notice? What questions did you ask? Yes, John. Yes. Okay. Do you see this question here? It's like, hey, carry one another's burdens. Also, carry your own load. <laughs> Seems a little bit contradictory. It is right next to each other. That's what's funny about it. I actually have that in the book, and we're going to talk about that specific question because it is there's a there's a whole little description there about what does it mean? There's the law of Christ in the middle. You kind of have to put that together. But I like those things where you, if you're a really good reader, you start to see these things. Like, wait, what? How do both of these be true? Yes, sir, Alan. Okay, good point. So those who are spiritual, well, what does he mean by that? What exactly does spiritual mean? Okay. Yeah, it's a good point, because then we have to ask the question, well, why did he even qualify it like that? You know, is that supposed to be a bit of a, maybe a little bit of a dig? Is like, well, I'm spiritual. Really, if you're spiritual then, and then he gives you an answer, maybe it wasn't the one they were expecting. What else? So this is the thing about it. In a certain sense, Paul actually answers his own question in just one chapter before. So those who are spiritual are those who have the fruit of the Spirit. And so then the next question will be, well, why would that be important for this? Like him kind of going back to that. What do you guys think about that? Yes, ma'am. Thinking spiritual, 
your being spiritual because that's what gives you the relationship with Christ. Okay, so did you catch your answer was that you have these things that makes you spiritual, but and we're talking here about how you interact with other humans, but you connected it because this is all important because of your relationship with Christ. So it's all the way through. And this is something that Brad Pettis said. It's vertical and it's horizontal, right? It's all connected. And First John does the same thing. He brings them together. If you want to know how if you love Christ, love like Christ. And that's the key. Yes, Alan. Yeah, and I think that video that I tried to play that probably none of you could hear here last week kind of gives you an answer for that. Like, what does it mean to think of yourself as something? And, and that's where the, uh, Tim Keller says that the one thing about the gospel is it takes away that, what he calls a slippery slope of thinking that I am something. Because in every other religion or secularism, and look, we talk about, I'm going to use the word legalist sometimes, you know what the biggest legalists are? They're people who don't have any religion at all, right? I mean, because if you think that the biggest thing is for you to not be a racist, you will look down on everybody else you think is a racist. That's just what happens. And if you think the biggest thing is about me doing a bunch of religious things and that makes me good enough, then you're going to look down on people who don't have those religious things. But Christianity takes all of that away because you think my core identity is when somebody did something for me that I could not do for myself. That takes away that slippery slope of thinking that it's something about me and it takes away that arrogance. And Paul talks about boasting in Romans. We're going to study Romans next quarter. And this is kind of the thing. You, you get this mentality wrong, you don't get the fruit of the Spirit. Because you start to slip down that slippery slope. At least that's where I think that's going. What do you all think about that? Yes, ma'am. I think one of the main things in chapter 6 is living in the flesh. It's, it's to how to put off the flesh. And so the only way you can do that is the ones who are spiritual. <laughs> right. Who aren't living by the flesh can help to restore those who are living by the flesh. Yeah, good point. Yeah, we have to be the ones who live out this new way of living so we can show them what the opposite is. And, and I think that what I like about when Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, we have to look, there's two lists there. There's a list of, here's the works of the flesh, and here's the, the works of the, the, the fruit of the Spirit and the works of the flesh. And, by the way, there's a, some nuance there. By the way, he doesn't say the works of the flesh and the works of the Spirit. He says <laughs> there's a little bit of a difference there. Because I think sometimes Christians can get stuck into sin management, which is, I'm going to take that list of the flesh and I'm going to try to get rid of all of that, but I'm not going to fill it. I'm not going to fill that vacuum with this other thing. And, and you find it, it is way harder, right? you got to do both. All right. Anything else? Yes. I have a question on uh, verse 7. Okay. But if you continue 
continue in the context, it seems to be talking about spiritual things. Um, <coughs> do those two intersect? Is it only spiritual? It's funny you mention this because I have, I've had the exact same question even all the way up to verse 6, actually. Because here's how I always read verse 6. Okay, the one who receives instruction must share all good things with the one who teaches. Oh, so if I'm learning something from somebody, then I should be willing to financially support them, right? Okay, I think that's true, but it seems a little odd, doesn't it? Because it's like, oh, by the way, you, you guys should pay those people. Let's get back into the rest of the stuff. It just, just strikes me as very, very strange. And so I'm wondering, and I want to talk about this. I, I, we're gonna, when we get to chapter 6 in, the, in a few weeks... I want to talk about this because I'm kind of thinking this is a series of almost proverbial statements that says something, actually something spiritual about this. It would not, of course, it would be totally true. You could financially support a teacher, but he might be saying something else. Like, if you share in the instruction of what a teacher teaches, then you will share in other things that the teacher, like the kind of person that the teacher is. And so this would then mean that he's actually saying something similar in verse 6 as he is in verse 7. A person will reap what he sows. So if you see a teacher who's like, this is a really good Bible teacher, really solid Bible teacher, but every church he goes to, they all split after he's done teaching them. Probably not a good sign, right? Something else is going on here. And, and I say that because that's appropriate to what's happening here in Galatians. It's like, okay, you guys left. When I left you, you would have given me your eyes. You accept me like I was Jesus Christ himself. And today... You guys are biting and devouring one another. Like, that should have been a tip-off that this is probably not right. <laughs> yeah. Yes, ma'am. Okay, that's a good point. So maybe it is kind of more of a proverb, but the proverb is, we need to be working together on this. Okay, that's a good point. That's a good point. Which would be part of correction. Right? It's what you were basically saying when I'm correcting you. It's because I want to be in the same group with you. I'm not, I'm not splitting. We're trying to work it out. Yes, Alan? And I guess it would really, yeah, so the question would be, what is it saying about the teacher? Now, should the teacher be honored? And this comes back to that question that, that Mish brought up, which is, how do you understand this, right? If you take it as more of a proverbial statement, and you're thinking it is more of, like, evaluate this teacher based on, you know, you should be able to see their, the fruit even in their heart, okay? So if you see that... And then you, you see them teaching something, then you would, one would presume these are connected. Then I wouldn't think, then in that case, I don't think it's actually saying something about you should honor the teacher. I think there's other passages you could use to justify it. So I think the conclusion would be true. If you take it like that, I wouldn't say that this passage supports that. 
That's, just, that's how I would look at it. I tend to take it more of a proverbial. Yes, ma'am. I think it's more of a partnership in sharing so that the true gospel is pulled out. That because that's what he goes on to say, don't be foolish, God will be mocked. You better come to the same conclusion and to the, the truth together. The teacher and the, and the one being taught needs to come to the same thing because if or come to the conclusion of God, not, not even one of them. So what's God saying? Here? Right. You know, because if you aren't very careful, you'll be mocking him. Right. And if you take your view that it is proverbial, but more of the, then it would be more of like a respect. There should be a mutual respect that would be if you're trying to answer the question of whether respect, but, uh, but it probably isn't really talking about that even in your view, it says, it sounds like. Yes, Fred. Yeah, good point, because if you, if you talk to somebody, okay, let's go back. So Raymond brought up somebody who thinks that you should go back to the law. He also says he doesn't think he can, he can't tell you if he's saved. So if you talk to a Christian who says, you know, I really know the gospel, and then you ask him, do you know if you're saved? He says, well, no. That <laughs> probably is a bad sign, right? You see these teachers, they're going to reap on themselves destruction, do you want to participate in that? Which is a good way to put it. Yeah, no, you don't want to participate in that. All right. Shall we go on to chapter one? We're going to go back. <laughs> okay. Yes. What about the passage in Romans fifteen twenty-seven? Well, what I would say is. Wait one quarter when we study Romans. <laughs> All right, let me read fifteen twenty-seven. Twenty-six and twenty-seven. Okay. For Macedonia and Achaia are pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem, for they were pleased to do this, and indeed they are indebted to the Jerusalem saints. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are obligated also to minister them in material things. Oh, that's a good point. Okay. Okay, so Paul's exchange, there's a, back, there's a sharing between each other. And this might be a nice tie-in, or is a nice tie-in, to a question Chris brought up that I wanted to talk about later, which is, why in the world, in, in chapter 2, does this seem so, almost like a side fact. It says, oh, just, they, they told me, just remember the poor, to Paul. And you're like, what? I mean, <laughs> why is that relevant? Is, but I actually think there's probably a, a lesson there, and actually I think this fits into this. 
Yeah, so the, that's true. And in this case, then, what, Israel was supposed to be an object lesson, and the people were supposed to be a light to the world, okay? So the, the Jews were supposed to teach the Gentiles, okay? Well, now that the Gentiles have learned, doesn't it also follow, which is what Paul seems to be saying here, the Gentiles should be sharing back with the Jews, which is exactly what they were doing when they were helping out the Jews in Jerusalem. Yeah, good point. Very good point. I had not tied that together. All right. What kind of words or phrases did you see when we went through that you thought were significant throughout Galatians? What's that? Oh, a whole book. Yeah, good point. And actually, I'll put, I have a list. So I actually did an analysis on this. This is what happens when you get an engineer teaching a class. And I put together a list of the words, and yeah, this was the, the list of the top words that were not filler words. So you could even look through there and say, that's kind of surprising. I'm surprised that one's up there. Like I said, the one that surprised me was spirit. I didn't know that was that common. Raymond. That's true, because it's like Paul doesn't get around to circumcision, the actual word circumcision, until later, but that actually, you have to really understand what circumcision means, understand what that all encompasses. Yeah. Yes. Okay, good point. Righteous and faith. That's not just one word. It's like the both of them, they're actually clustered. Because it, and he's gonna, when you get into chapter 3, we're going to dig into that. Because he quotes a bunch of these Old Testament books. And he's not quoting the verse. He's quoting the book. So if you understand the book and bring it in, it makes a lot more sense. And I think it's, that's a good one to bring up. Because that's this third way. Righteousness, it's not law and righteousness. It's faith and righteousness. And if you understand that connection, you can understand why this doesn't lead to lawlessness at the end. Yeah, we're gonna, we'll, we'll talk about that. Yes, ma'am. Raymond's point about circumcision being right in the middle. I like that because the, the theme of Galatians is the main thing is circumcision because they were saying you're teaching to go back to, to be a part of Abraham's seed. You have to be circumcised. So it was a part of, it was required for their inheritance of Abraham's of the land. And the seed of Abraham. And he's saying, no, Jesus is the only seed that inherits the land. So it kind of goes through him. So it makes sense that that's midway yeah. because everything before and after is hanging on that. Yeah, good point. Circumcision is connected to Abraham. Abraham is connected to faith. So this is where it starts to go awry for the one who wants to say it's the law. It's like, wait, wait. And Abraham was before the law, so if he was justified... Makes you wonder that maybe the law wasn't there to justify in a certain sense. Which is exactly Paul's point. Yes, ma'am. Flesh and spirit. You're either one. One or the other. You can't be spirit. <laughs> there's flesh. <laughs> there's, yes, there's no splash. There's no flirt. <laughs> there's no spirit-ish. <laughs> 
Yeah. Good point. Spirit. Really good point. There's spirit, there's flesh. And you hang on to the law, you're stuck with flesh. Which is kind of a shock, actually, when you think about it. Yes, sir. I 100% agree. This whole idea of self-justified. We, we never use self-justified in a good way in English, right? We just, it's always bad because maybe it's a tip-off. That's not going to work. And it's Christ-justified. And I think this goes to the core of what was going wrong there. As soon as you start slipping down that, that slippery slope of, well, if I do enough of these things. And I say, when I say legalists, like the world is filled with legalists. I don't mean just religious people. I'm talking about secular people are worse. Because you talk to them, and they will say things like, well, when I, I'm in front of God, you know, I'll just, I've done it, I'm a good person. No, no, you're not. This is the problem. This is, we, we're all legalists in a certain sense until we meet Christ. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, it's like we brought up righteousness and faith, the connected. You could, you could really, if you really wanted to get nerd out on this, you could cluster these together and make some really cool, like, diagram or something. I'm probably not going to nerd out that much yet. <laughs> but I did write that down because I do want to do that at one point. Raymond. I like what you said, too, because we, we all fall in that trap where we kind of start to unlearn some of this. We start to self-justify. And we take it, what happens, it takes our focus off of the one who justifies us. And we have to relearn that sort of thing back. Uh, Ryan Lee. All right. Anything else? Yes. Yeah, I like the way you put it. We are cheapening Christ's gift when we start to self-justify. I think that's exactly what goes wrong here. And a whole bad set of things happens and it changes our behavior, it changes the way we think. Yeah, I 100% agree. 
Yes, ma'am. Yeah, that, it, Paul makes that repeatedly, like, I did not get this from men. <laughs> this came from somewhere else, which, of course, totally fits, because if it's people, if we're talking about, we talk about self-justified, but really it's not just that it's man doesn't justify. Only Christ does. So the source of this can't be from here. It has to be from somewhere else. Yeah, good point. Yes, sir. exactly the whole point that I want this class to get into. Okay, what he said here was, how does this apply to law in general? We understand Judaism. Okay, sir, I won't pick up on circumcision. Fine, I won't be circumcised. I won't keep the Jewish feast days. And we can quickly run past and say, see, you know, self-justify. I don't push those. I mean, I, push, I may push a hundred million other things, but at least I didn't pick something out of the Bible in the Old Testament. It's like, that doesn't make it better. That makes it worse, actually, if you just made it up. And the way I want to, I don't want to drill down on that, because I think that is the key aspect here. The first time that I really studied Galatians, I had been told that this is really just talking about the old law. It's just talking about, so as long as, I, so when I say pat myself in the back, I'm talking about, that's how I thought about it. I'm not pushing circumcision. I'm not pushing uh, keeping the, the stuff back in the Old Testament necessarily. But then I started reading it. With that perspective of it's just talking about the law, and I was like, whoa, whoa, no, it's not. There's something else going on here. And, and Paul even says, if a law could have given life, that one would have been it. That would have been the point. Like why, if he was going to do it that way, that's what he would use. So clearly, if it's not through that, it can't be through a system of checkboxes in a certain sense. Now, we have to figure out, well, what do you mean by new law versus old law? Remember, one of the topical lessons is, what is the difference between the new law and the old law? Which you brought that up. Also, another one is on how do we avoid falling into the same traps? So, yeah, this is, this is definitely not what I'm answering right now. <laughs> that's a hard one. But yes, that's, that is a key question. I like that. And if you see, if, if I don't answer one of your questions when you give them to me, I am writing them down. So we will, we will definitely cover them. Yes, John. Yes. Yeah, I want this to fit in a box. I really kind of want the checklist. It's nice. It's tidy. I can kind of go through it quickly, you know, and then it's like, wait, this is a little bit different than that. You know, and, it's, and then it gets into kind of a relational aspect. It's like it's, it's hard to get your head around in a certain sense. And yet, in the other sense, it, it is, I think in many ways, it's also deeply intuitive once you see it. All right. I was about to say we were on schedule with my little agenda, but now we're off. That's okay. <laughs> uh, so I want to, let's get, we're going to start getting into chapter one. 
one of the things, we're going to go real quick through chapter 1, so it's going to be done today. Chapter 2, we're going to spend two classes on chapter 2. Uh, mostly in chapter 2, we're going to talk about some of the history and some of the things that are going on there. A lot of time on chapter 3. Chapter 3 is really hard. Uh, sometime on chapter 4, and then we'll, we'll speed up from there. One thing I want you to see in the intro is... If you look at the openings of Galatians and you compare it to Paul's other letters and you count the number of words, Galatians sticks out. It has only 75 words in the intro. Now you look at the other ones. 1 Corinthians, 359 words. It's a lot longer. Now, there are problems in 1 Corinthians. There are problems in Galatians, but for some reason it's much shorter. Let me tell you why it's shorter. Because when you see this, it kind of has an emotional impact. If we look at first century epistles, there's tons of first century epistles. That we have. They follow a very consistent format. But one of the things is number here is number four, the thanksgiving. So I say something like, you know, I always thank God for you. It's usually something nice. When you get into Galatians, it's not there. The part where you would expect him to say, oh, I always thank God for you. He says, I am astonished that you are so good. Like, whoa. <laughs> if that's what you were expecting him to say something, and you got that, I think that would land. That would leave a mark. And that's the point. I mean, so this is an unusual letter. It is unusually, I think harsh would probably be the right word, but for good reasons. Questions or comments about that? Yes, sir. It seems like the conclusion is much shorter than most of the, most of the conclusion. The conclusion is shorter. Could be. I didn't plot that on a chart. Yeah, but you're probably right. <laughs> Yeah. Like, it's pretty terse on both ends. Yeah, most of the time he's like, tell so and so the low and tell so and so that they need to. Do yeah. This and You're right. I hope to come see you soon and yada yada yada. This is just kind of Yeah, it's just pretty much like, I'm done. Yeah, and I think that would maybe fit the, the kind of the, the tenacity of the whole letter. Get right to the point, put the point out. And he's just, he's like, I'm out. Peace out, folks. <laughs> it's kind of the, yeah, it does come off, it comes off as very terse. Which is weird, because we're going to talk about Romans, and Romans is a much fuller picture of this, much longer. Much of the content is the same, but Galatians is kind of the negative perspective when you're not thinking about it right, and Romans is here's how to think about it right, kind of the positive side of it. Yeah, it's a good point. I had thought about comparing the conclusions. All right. Any questions or comments about that? Yes, ma'am. I was going to say, tagging on to him, the very last verse, if you look in Corinthians, he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with you all. This one he ends with, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Hmm. Brothers, amen. (laughs) And so, I mean, it's just like... And, and the whole context is the flesh and the spirit. Right. So what's saying? Work on your spirit. And the way you read that, it sounded like in First Corinthians he says that you have the spirit. And in Galatians it's like, well, almost as if he's saying, well, I hope you, I hope you get this and have the spirit. <laughs> you know, and then period. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. All right. Let's talk about... 
Let's talk about, on page 31, about Paul, he's claiming here that he's not looking to gain man's approval. I don't know where that slide is. It doesn't matter. Okay, so let's think about a counterfactual. That means like kind of an opposite case. The people who are arguing against Paul are saying that he's just doing this for man's approval. Now, we're only hearing one side of the message, but that's the only thing that makes any sense because Paul keeps saying, I am not doing this for man's approval. Okay, make a case, and you don't have to just do it from Galatians. Knowing everything you know about Paul, how, make a case that he was not doing this for man's approval. Yes, ma'am. Because he comes out swinging. He's coming out government. He's harsh. And I think if Good point. I, 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 they may have been accusing him of looking for man's approval. But also, he's, he's saying, I'm getting ready to tell you something you're not going to want to hear. So you're not going to approve. And I'm not doing for you to approve. Good point. I, I was thinking of like the history, but it's like, yeah, you want to see? Do I do I sound like I'm trying to get make people happy? <laughs> you know, I think no, no, you don't. <laughs> yes, right. Yes, the trials over and over and over. I mean, sometimes you, you when you go through Acts, it's like everywhere Paul goes to, this kind of goes through a point about how he's not there to make people happy. There's like mob action after he goes there. I mean, that's that's practically Paul's spiritual gift is starting a mob. You know? It's like you look at this. This guy is not sound like he's he's trying to make me happy. Yes, Raven. Yeah, it's a good point. You look at him, he consistently gives up his rights. And when you might look at this, well, sometimes he talks a little bit differently to the Jews than he does to the Gentiles. Right, but there's one thing that's always consistent upon both of those things, and it's Christ. And so at some point, you just have to say, okay, I think maybe that's what's actually driving him here. And interesting enough, Paul has been a very important one for changing people's minds who are skeptics. And, and the reason is, is that you look at some of these people and you think, okay, it is very, is that rain? Okay, I think it is. Sorry, I'm getting, like, seeing the shiny cars or whatever. For skeptics, like Lord Littleton wrote this book and he said, I can't make any sense out of this guy, this guy Paul, unless he actually believes this stuff. Because he didn't do it, what did he gain out of this? Oh, yeah, he got whipped and a few shipwrecks. A lot of mob action. Oh, okay, well, that doesn't sound very good. I mean, why, why would he do this? The only possible thing could be that he actually believed it. What, right. Yeah. 
Good point. We think of healings as a physical sign in the body to show that something is true. In this case, it's the exact opposite. The fact that I bear these marks is precisely the evidence that you need to know that my heart's in the right place. Yes? Yeah, yeah, exactly. He, I mean, he gives tons of evidence of all the things. Listen, why would I do this? I had all of this. I was A plus, top of my game. Nobody could compete with me according to the law. And then he gave it all up. Complete switch. And that's why you'll hear these skeptics will talk about how, well, what happened to Paul? And they'll argue things like, well, maybe he had this thing called conversion disorder, which is where he thought he saw Jesus. You notice what they, you know where they're going with this? They, he thought he saw something. Because how else could you explain this? Is like he had, the only way you could go is that he's deceived. And Lord Littleton, in his book, when he writes this, he talks about how Paul had to be legit. He says, you, know, you could say Paul was just deceived, but Paul was not an idiot. Paul was a sharp guy. There was an atheist, Antony Flew, an atheist. And Antony Flew said, the thing that Christianity had that Islam does not have was it had Paul. He said, quote, Paul was a first-class philosophical mind, end quote. He said he knew how to make an argument, and he could make them. He knew his stuff. This is, it's harder to argue that he was just deceived, but he's pretty sharp. Yes, ma'am. And if he had been trying to please me, he couldn't have written a letter. <laughs> right, that's true. There's another one, 1 Corinthians. Now, that would be one that you're probably one writer who's trying to make people happy. <laughs> Good point. All right, doing a time check here. Anything else you guys had? Yes, sir. Exactly. Even if I or an angel, he codes himself in that list. So he's not, he's not trying to get followers for him. And he's pretty consistent with this. He's like, follow me as I follow Christ. So that, I mean, he's pretty balanced on this. Yeah, good point. All right, anything else? All right, let's talk about... The difference between being taught something, because he makes a big point. I was not taught these things, but it was by revelation. Why would that be significant to his argument? Yeah, he was not taught by man. He had that revelation and it 
death. Good point. So he's kind of saying, listen, I don't even follow what men teach, so you shouldn't either. <laughs> I think I saw another hand raised back there. Yes, ma'am. Because it would take if it was if this is a teaching of man, you can you have to kind of develop it and you gotta think through it and that sort of thing. If God just comes to you and says, Ah, yeah, no, okay, do this other thing, you're you're there, day one. <laughs> right? It's really fast. So this takes the argument off the table. Paul doesn't really know what he's talking about yet. It's like, yeah, it doesn't doesn't matter, okay, at that point. In Galatians was written, the people who take it on an earlier date will say it's about fifty. People who take a very late date, it's got a very tight range. Unlike most of the books, a lot of the books in the New Testament have a wider range. The latest that a scholar would put, like probably a skeptical scholar, would be 56. It's very tight range. It's very, very early. Probably, highly likely, it's, if it's not the first of the New Testament books to have actually been penned to, to paper, it is close to it. I think I saw another kind of yes, right? So he's taking the wind out of the sails for those who want to start quoting a bunch of rabbis. Like, no, no, there's one rabbi. There's one rabbi you should listen to. It's Jesus of Nazareth. That is it. There's nobody else. Okay? And, and also, if somebody even quotes, potentially misquoting, Peter or James, takes the wind out of those sails. It's like, listen, you follow Jesus. If James and Peter got it right, they're saying the same thing as Jesus. So that's where this goes. And it turns out Peter and James actually had gotten it right. I mean, Peter... Played, made a mistake, which made one, something look like people were claiming, probably claiming James was poured to them, and I think it turns out that's not the case. Uh, I see that. They're very aware he didn't walk with Jesus like the rest, too. He's, I'm sorry, say that again? They're very aware, the, the Jews, that he didn't walk with Jesus and learn directly from him the way the apostles did. So yes. That would be another big argument for them. That you didn't, walk with, you didn't learn this from Jesus, because what he's saying is, I learned it directly from yeah, Peter can claim he got it directly from Jesus because he was with him during his life, but Paul can't claim quite the same thing. That's a good point. So he's got to clarify. And it's kind of like, Paul seems like a guy who just comes out of nowhere, right? So, yeah, good point. What else? 
Alan, who looked like you were going to say something. I have not. <laughs> That's it. Okay. <laughs> that would be interesting. That seems like a statistically unlikely argument, but I suppose I suppose their ages. That could be possible. I can't think of any reason why I could say that it can't be. Can't really say any reason why it would be. I don't know why Paul would never mention that. You would think he would say something in some letter, but. Huh, no, I have not, I have not heard that. That's, I was about to say that's creative, but I don't know if that's going to be right thing. When you get creative about theology, it usually, it usually ends very badly. But, but I don't think it would change anything dramatically. All right, anything else? Yes, Raymond. Hmm. Right. Yeah, it doesn't take long to learn the gospel in a certain sense. Like, there's a lot of specifics, there's some complexities underneath the hood, but, you know, we have to be careful, and you pointed this out before, that we don't confuse sanctification with justification. And I think sometimes people can do that. You are not more saved because you, you learn more. And Chris brought this up in a sermon a while ago where sometimes, you know, we load up a bunch of stuff and say, hey, make sure you're a new Christian, right? Okay, well, we need to go through, and we go through this really, really long list. It's like, okay, we've got to be careful there because some of this stuff can be learned after the fact. All right. Thank you all.